This is Politics Friday on NPR News. I'm Brian Baxter with you today, here for Mike Mulcahy. Later in the hour, we'll talk to lawmakers engaged in the debate over paid leave and check in with some reporters for their take on what's been going on this week. But first, we're catching up with Democratic U.S. Senator Amy Klobuchar, who is joining us by phone from Minneapolis after a week of appearances around Minnesota. Senator, welcome back. I I know you're busy, so if you don't mind, let's jump right in here. Washington, as you know, is in the midst of another debt ceiling standoff that could have ramifications for the nation's economy. Is there anything different about this one than the others that went to the brink? Our economy has come out of this pandemic. We're just starting to see inflation numbers go down. Minnesota obviously has full employment. Um, and there's a lot of good things going on. The last thing we need to do right now is to move backwards by letting the debt ceiling lapse and not paying off our debt. And that's why it is so important that we do this, as we have in the past, one way or another, uh, got this done on a bipartisan basis. The last time we had this, Senator McConnell found a procedural way, and he is now coming back to the Senate, was announced this week. Uh, found a procedural way to allow the Senate to vote on it with, I think it was 51 votes instead of 60. I know that there is some negotiations going on in the House. I don't know the details of that. But what I do know is that we have a responsibility to address the debt limit and avoid a default, which would be absolutely catastrophic for our economy. It would make that recent problem with Silicon Valley Bank look like a piker. But if it comes down to it, would would you or other Democrats be willing to make spending changes, perhaps this discretionary spending cap that Republicans appear to want in conjunction with a debt limit increase vote? I don't think we're going to get to that point because there is a way to do this, which is simply to vote on the debt limit. And then this negotiation that they're talking about goes with the budget, right? We just agreed to a budget. We already agreed to it. And in fact, um, their leadership signed off. They didn't all vote for it, but it was signed off on at the end of last year. That's the budget that is we're operating under right now. Um, so that's the place for them to make these pitches, right, where you make an agreement on the budget. Mm-hmm. You can look at what caps are for certain things. It is not on the debt limit. It sounds like you're pretty confident that that's going to get solved. I um, am hopeful. Uh, You know, I don't think anyone wants to move backwards right now. Uh, Certainly we don't in our state. And um, I am just hopeful we're going to get through this. When you look at this um, positive economic news out there right now with uh, groceries, um, um, energy, some other things, we don't want to put this recovery all at risk. So so let's zoom out here. How is the new party dynamic shaping up so far with your party in charge of the Senate and White House and Republicans atop the House? Um, well, I think the debt ceiling is going to be the big test of that. We have been able to govern in terms of um, the continuing our economic recovery. I think a lot of it is that the Senate is a backstop for not passing things that would move us backwards. But what I want to do is move forwards, and that means not just the debt ceiling. The test is going to come as you know, what are we going to do when it comes to finally doing something on child care and housing. Some of this will be tied into the budget at the end of next year. We really need that in Minnesota. I'd like to do something on workforce, and I know it seems like a stretch with the Republican House, but making some limited progress on immigration reform when we need more workers, especially in our rural areas, health care, um, long-term care, 
uh, that could be a real game changer for us. And while a lot of our work right now is implementing the bipartisan infrastructure plan, getting the funding out for broadband and the like, or getting the chips uh, with will be very helpful to Minnesota semiconductor chips made in America. At the same time, I want to keep moving forward. And my tech bills are bipartisan. I think their time is going to come very soon to finally put some rules in place. And so that's where I am. I think it is untested that while Speaker McCarthy has continued to talk to President Biden and there are discussions, people aren't shut off. That is really important. Um, the time will tell if we're able to, in a grown-up way, get through this debt ceiling and then move on these challenges. Aside from those items you mentioned, what other notable things are you working on that might be able to transcend this partisan split on Capitol Hill? Well, uh, one of them that probably didn't come to your mind first is the Afghan Refugee Act. That's a uh, bill I have with Senator Lindsey Graham. I don't know how much bigger of a transcending the gap you can have. The two of us have paired up on this bill. Um, Mark Dayton, uh, former Governor Dayton, cares a lot about this. There's 80,000 Afghans here. They are here in our country. And uh, it simply gives takes them out of limbo so they can be on the path to a green card. And I'm hoping to get that done by the end of the year. Um, I'm continuing to work on antitrust and the tech bills. We need a federal privacy law. We need to do something about kids getting exposed to really seriously bad content, uh, as well as putting rules in the road in place when it comes to AI, um, artificial intelligence, and um, uh, what we're seeing with the new developments there. You know, I saw I, I saw something recently, Senator, that you introduced a firefighter bill that would compensate firefighters or their families for cancers that are linked to exposures to carcinogens. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. Great question. And that really builds on the burn pit work we did with our military. Uh, we've had a, several cases in Minnesota, cancers. One died uh, in the last few years at a very young age. Um, and our firefighters have also been being exposed to things that we didn't used to have in buildings that are burning. And we've lost um, many firefighters, including uh, Mike Piter, who was a fire captain and paramedic with the St. Paul Fire Department. His family brought this to me along with the St. Paul firefighters. I'm leading the national bill with Senator uh, Kevin Kramer of North Dakota, who is a Republican. And it simply gives those firefighters who have died or are disabled with cancer or died from cancer uh, the benefits for their families uh, that other firefighters get when they perish in a fire. Would there be a presumed connection or would the firefighter or their family have to prove the cancer was caused by a certain exposure? Exactly. There would be a presumed connection because of what we've seen with our firefighter registry. Um, And they have to show they're working as a firefighter, but it has to, what it is, is firefighters that have died or become permanently and totally or totally disabled as a result of work-related cancer. And so they have to be working as a firefighter. They obviously couldn't be in a back room or something like that. Um, But that presumption would be assumed for certain kinds of cancers. I want to pivot to your work on the Senate Judiciary Committee. Is that panel going to delve into the Supreme Court ethics, given the unfolding news we've seen around expense-paid trips taken by Justice Clarence Thomas, which were not routinely disclosed? The short answer, yes. Uh, We're going to have a major hearing on this in the U.S. Senate. Um, I um, came into the Senate uh, when we passed a major ethics reform. Uh, President Obama continued that work. 
And uh, it's always been very important to me. Uh, our state is one of the leading states when it comes to passing ethic laws that have governed our state legislature and others that work in government. This is outrageous to me. You have uh, someone that is not reporting lavish trips, trips on yachts. And as we are just learning today, uh, this same man who serves on a bunch of boards that have cases in front of the Supreme Court, these are ideological boards, also purchased Clarence Thomas's house or his mother's house and appears to own it as well as bought the property next door. None of this was reported. There are no exceptions for this particular provision when it comes to things like familial relationships or friendships and the like. So this is a brand new discovery uh, that we just had um, that I'm sure will be a subject of our hearing and um, and beyond. You're, you're talking about the new reporting by ProPublica. Yeah. But, uh, Senator, does, does Congress have the authority to impose ethics rules on this other branch of government, in this case, the judiciary? Such a great question. I'm on a bill that would do that. Um, and it is a code of ethics. And it's not just having a code of ethics in place. It is also actually enforcing it. Um, and so I am sure the court would challenge it as a separate branch of government if we put and pass such a law. But there is one easy answer for that. They need to pass their own law and simply govern themselves by the laws that are already on the books that apply to every other federal judge, including the judges in Minnesota. So speaking of the Supreme Court, uh, do you expect these competing rulings we've seen in the last week or so around access to medication used in abortions to wind up before the high court? And does that concern you given recent abortion rulings from this court? I do expect them to go before this court. And I believe despite the hideous decision in the Dobbs case that reversed 50 years of precedent when it comes to Roe v. Wade, this case could actually be decided right now, at least for the stay that this Amarillo judge is trying to put in place. This could be decided regardless of what drug you're dealing with because of the fact that they are second-guessing both the judge in Amarillo and now the Fifth Circuit this week, um, which kind of gave half a loaf, but basically put in its own views that, well, you can't buy this drug in uh, out of a pharmacy over the counter. Oh, you can't send it in the mail. And by the way, we think it should be at 10 weeks uh, instead of seven weeks. Come on. And that is they have lifted part of the stay, but still left all of that in place. And that is what the Supreme Court will be considering. And let me give you a little clue to what I think could happen. And that is that they could look at this and this legal term called standing, which means, hey, the people that brought this case, this small group of doctors, which is not at all like the American Medical Association that has said this drug is safe, this these people don't have an impact from this. They are not impacted. And the court has said this in other cases by whether you buy in a pharmacy or if you do it seven to 10 weeks or if you do it over the mail, they're not impacted by this. So you could see them get off the hook of a stay by simply making that finding out of the Supreme Court, regardless of their views on Dobbs and abortion. That could happen this week. If it doesn't, you're going to have a number of states but not Minnesota, that are going to be operating under these limitations. Not Minnesota, because Keith Ellison joined the lawsuit out of Washington State, uh, which had a different ruling uh, that covers basically 17 states. Senator, I've been looking over some historical records, and 
No Minnesota senator has sought and won a fourth consecutive turn since Hendrick Shipstead in 1940. <laughs> You're Hendrick running for a fourth. Shipstead. Yeah, that is a name you don't hear very often. You're, that's a, yes, that is a, that guy's a character. Yes, but you, but you're running for a fourth term, correct? Next year. Um, yes, I am. And so, what does another campaign for that term look like? Knowing that you've well, hopefully missed your window for the snowstorm kickoff. <laughs> well, I am going to continue working for Minnesota. That's what I do. I've uh, visited over thirty counties already this year, and met with Minnesotans on farms and in small towns and big towns. Um, I'm going to continue my work on the Ag Committee because I am actually next in line to chair or be the ranking member on that committee. Uh, We're going to be doing a farm bill this year. Um, I work on transportation and infrastructure, and I finally passed a version of my bill to allow pharmaceutical companies to to limit uh, their what been going on is those pharmaceutical companies have been dictating the prices of drugs and we can finally allow for Medicare negotiation uh, to bring those prices down. And last thing I'll say is there was a report card that just came out. I was third in the uh, Senate for passing bills into law. So no matter who runs what, I have found a way to work across the aisle um, and get things done. And that's been really, really important to me. Is there any possibility in your mind that you won't be sharing a ticket with President Joe Biden, who would be up for re-election next year? Um, it's my understanding, and the president just reaffirmed it at the Easter egg hunt of all places, that he is going to be running for re-election. And so um, I will be on the ticket uh, running for Senate as President Biden is running for president. And what about the view held by some in your party that he might be too old or doesn't have a robust enough run left in him? Um, I think you've got to look at President Biden and what he's done here. First of all, he's been a steady hand that came in um, um, and got us through the pandemic. And after all the turmoil of Donald Trump is to be um, it really changed things up for us. He built allies around the world. And most importantly, as a record of accomplishment, that um, there's a lot of things he's gotten done in when everyone had counted him out. So those are the things that I look at, and I know Minnesotans will uh, do appreciate and will appreciate. Speaking of Donald Trump, why have so many of these rural areas around the country and in Minnesota been so open to him and so supportive of him? Some of these same places that have supported you. I think part of it, especially when you look at his uh, last, uh, the first election when he won, was, you know, people always want to see change. They are understandably frustrated when things don't seem fair to them. And I think that's one of the things that I have spent my life focused on, that um, you got to look at what brings people together, not what separates them. Um, I don't look at things as a red county or a blue county. I look at what do people need in this place? What do they need? Does Winona have what they need to deal with the floods right now? Yes, they do. I was just there. Can the Commonwealth Theater in Lanesboro keep going? Because I believe passed the Save Our Stages during the pandemic. Yes, they can. Are veterans getting what they need, not just when they're serving overseas, but when they come home? That's why I was one of the senators leading the efforts for years on burn pits. So I just think you've got to Look at people, especially when we've been separated into these separate silos through the pandemic. Now is a moment where Minnesotans especially, who love going to stuff, have to to come together again, whether it's in the workplace, 
whether it's at sporting events, whether it's at festivals, and talk to each other. Even if they disagree, have civic discussions, civil discussions about things. I believe so strongly in this because I think we've seen in part this breakdown ushered in by Donald Trump, but then worsened by social media and divides and also um, by the dark, dark nature of what some people are seeing on the Internet. One of my obsessions is that. Um, they need to talk to each other again so they understand each other and like each other, even if they don't agree on everything. I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, how, how's your health? Uh, very good. I had uh, my checkup uh, several times. I go there when I'm supposed to, uh, and uh, it's been 100% good. And a lot of that um, is, you know, I had good doctors and nurses, um, and I was able to catch it, even though I, like everyone else, delayed the um, my checkup and found out um, that I had breast cancer. And luckily, it wasn't a really high stage. So I was able to take care of it um, uh, with some a lumpectomy and radiation. And um, I couldn't be doing better. And it was just a lesson to me about getting those checkups. And so many of us fell behind during the pandemic. And then making sure you do what the doctors say. And also, it was really a time where you kind of step back and realize every day is a gift, you know, whether it was my husband getting up at four in the morning and taking me to radiation or whether it was strangers on a plane bound from Minneapolis to Washington who, you know, didn't even know I had cancer, but would always help me take, put up my luggage when I wasn't supposed to push it up there myself. <laughs> um, and they didn't even know who I was because everyone was wearing masks at the time. So those kinds of things got me through this and letting people know about it also helped me. I've had so many people say they got their checkups and found out they got cancer in time and they caught it uh, because I went out there public with it, just as we just saw Carrie Dietzik do um, on the state basis uh, recently, and I, I think that can make a big difference. Senator Klobuchar, thanks again for coming on. Let's make sure to talk again soon. Okay, thanks, Brian. It was great to be on. This is Politics Friday. I'm Brian Back, sitting in this week for our regular host, Mike Mulcahy. Sometime in the next few weeks, the legislature is likely to vote on a paid family and medical leave proposal. It would guarantee almost every Minnesota worker time off around the birth or adoption of a child, to tend to a family member's serious illness, or to cope with their own health emergency. There's a big price tag to get it off the ground within a few years. More than $660 million in startup money that would be taken from the state's surplus. Later, the program would rely on a new payroll tax on both employers and employees to cover the partial wage replacement benefits. With us now is Elise Mann, a DFL state senator from Edina, and the author of the Paid Family and Medical Leave Bill. And Julia Coleman is a Republican state senator from Oconia, who has offered alternative approaches in the past. Thanks for coming in to discuss this. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. Senator Mann, I want to begin with you. Why is now the right time for the state to establish and run a paid family leave program? Great question. So um, honestly, we should have done this 10 years ago. 
Um, but now is the time because we have the surplus. Um, and paid family leave is just a necessary program. The rest of the world has it. We are one of seven countries who does not have this program. And we will be the 12th state if we um, get this through the finish line this year. And so paid family leave um, encompasses so many things and it stretches across so many sectors of society and the economy. Uh, it has been shown to um, increase maternal health, child health. Uh, it has imp- Proved businesses, small businesses can be on the same playing field as larger businesses when offering this program. Um, it improves um, economic disparities, racial disparities, gender disparities. It's such an incredibly important program. And because, again, we have that surplus now, now is a great time to implement it. And I know the bill has changed quite a bit from what you originally introduced. So what type and duration of benefits could people expect? Yeah, so um, right now we have 12 weeks for either a personal illness or taking care of a new baby or a family member, and then an additional eight for the other category. So you, if you qualify for both, which really only a very small proportion of people would qualify for both leaves in one year, you would be able to take 20 weeks in that one year. 20 weeks per Total. year, every year? Yep, as long as you qualify. And Senator Coleman, you've talked about your own experience of worrying about keeping up with the household bills after you had a child. Wouldn't something like this have worked for you? Well, yes and no. I think that what's beautiful happening here today is Republicans and Democrats are sitting down together and saying paid family leave is important. And what's the best method of filling in the gaps for Minnesotans who don't currently have paid family leave proposals at their work? I was one of those employees. I was nine months pregnant with my first son, moonlighting small gigs in order to pay for time off to recover from childbirth. And uh, that was definitely important after having an emergency cesarean section. And what I didn't want, though, was something that would have hampered that small business, that small nonprofit I was working at. And so what we did is we saw what was happening in a couple of other states that were trying to think of a more creative solution and came up with a public-private partnership, something that is flexible for each employer and helps small businesses that can't currently afford to offer paid family leave proposals the opportunity to do so, to retract and attain, retain employee, employees and uh, do it in a way that doesn't hamper their day-to-day operations. So what my plan is that we uh, introduced last year and passed off the floor is it authorizes the creation of an insurance product in the state of Minnesota. And um, this was something I learned, that you actually have to authorize each new type of insurance product uh, through the legislature. Mm -hmm. And so it allows for paid family leave insurance to simply exist in this state. The other half of that proposal would be a tax credit for small businesses, those companies with 50 or fewer employees, to pay for, I believe it was up to 80% of the insurance premiums if they're one of those small businesses interested in offering this benefit to their employees or other paid family leave-related expenses. And how would these customizable insurance options and tax credits bring the kind of stability and, and assurance that Senator Mann says is needed? Well, it brings stability and insurance in the fact that the company's doors aren't going to be shuttered uh, with this proposal, that that job will be waiting for you when you get back. Nobody's going to buy a product that their employees aren't interested in. 
And how it would work is it would act as a rider to short-term disability insurance and would enable it so when you're taking um, time off to heal from childbirth or something like that, you're not going through short-term disability where most of the time it's paid at a certain percentage or something like that for six weeks. Each employer can customize it to their unique employee base, their unique needs, and work directly with the insurance companies and their employees to craft a package that works best for them and their needs. And what kind of minimum standards would be there for folks so they know that they could take up to X many weeks? Well, we're going to let the employers and the employees decide that. Uh, Each person has a different situation. Each employer has different needs that they need to operate their day-to-day business. And so my hope would be that they would offer something competitive. Otherwise, they're kind of wasting their money on a product. Uh, The point of it is so that they can design it how they want. They could design it up to 12 weeks. They could design it more than. It's really what they want to do to make themselves competitive and help their employees out. Now, Senator Mann, business owners and groups that represent them here at the Capitol have raised numerous concerns about your bill uh, from cost implementation. I want you to listen to a point made by Abby Loesch of the Minnesota Business Partnership during a recent committee hearing on the proposal. Imagine you're a pregnant woman who previously had paid leave benefits through your workplace, now having to contact a government-run state agency to access and be approved for your maternity leave benefits. Instead of being able to work with trusted colleagues in the HR department at your workplace, only to receive less of a leave benefit than your company previously offered to you. Now, Senator, would this complicate how companies and their workers manage leave requests? No, not at all. Um, In fact, it would do the opposite, right? So companies right now who offer their own program can continue to offer their own program as long as they're meeting that base that the state is meeting. Um, and they will, the employees will continue working with their HR departments because they will communicate with their employers of when they will need leave. So that won't change at all. Um, so I understand the fear that we, we have a new program, um, but the fear that businesses keep talking about, that they're going to go under, they can't afford it, uh, that people will take more leave than they're already taking is unfounded. And we know that because we see that in other states. We have the data to back that up. Businesses are doing well. And in fact, businesses that were surveyed, 90% of them said that paid family leave programs had no impact on their bottom line, had a better impact or no impact on productivity and worker morale. And so this is good for business. And again, we see that in all all the 11 other states. And how have you responding to those businesses that are worried about uh, finding temporary workers, especially if the labor market remains tight? And what changes have you been making to address those concerns? Yeah, so this bill does not create a need for leave. That need already exists. This bill simply talks about how we treat those people when they go on leave. We have a workforce shortage crisis across several sectors, right? And this bill will actually help with that. Um, In the 60s, Europe expanded their paid family leave programs to tackle the child care crisis, child care shortage crisis that they have. So this will help with that. When we keep kids at home, Mm -hmm. we decrease that demand. And we know that infant care is significantly more expensive than toddler care, with toddler care essentially um, funding infant care, um, or subsidizing infant care, I should say. And so it'll help with that. Long-term care, right? We have people sitting in the ER for days waiting for a hospital bed that they don't need because they can't go to a nursing home. So what I see is people who come in, they break their arm, for example, and a family member comes in, they visit them in the ER while they're waiting for days. And at one point in time, I said to one of my patients, can't you take your mom home? 
Can't you be with her? She just needs four weeks to recover. No, I can't. I have to work, right? And so that'll help with that. Um, Teachers, we are short on teachers. This helps teacher retention because people go back to work when they have paid leave. Employee retention increases. So this will help in every sector of the economy. That's Senator Elise Mann. And this hour, we're talking to two players in the legislature's debate over paid leave. Senator Julia Coleman of uh, Waconia, Republican, is with us as well. And Senator Coleman, wouldn't this benefit level the playing field for small companies that can't afford to get into a bidding war? I don't think it will. What I like to do is once a month host open office hours in my district where anyone can come have a cup of coffee and talk to me about what's on their mind. And every single one I've had this session, I've had Main Street businesses in Waconia and Chaska and Chanhassen, Victoria, sit down and tell me if there is one more demand placed upon my company, we will close. We will shut down. Please do everything in your power to fix this bill, to please not mandate this upon us, to please not add another tax upon us, or we will shut down. These are job creators in these towns that I represent. And that's why I'm still fighting for my paid family leave proposal, because it does put small businesses on the level playing field. It gives small businesses the opportunity to craft a benefit that works for them and their operations. Each business, not one size fits all mandate, each business will craft a unique proposal to offer that will work for them to attract and retain employees. And then we're going to do a public-private partnership with them by offering these tax credits to help them afford the expenses. That puts them on the level playing field. What this plan does, the Democrats' plan, it it really just is helping uh, large corporations already offering generous paid family leave benefits not have to pay for it anymore. It's actually going to be a tax cut for them and a tax increase for the small businesses. I want to play some recent testimony for you as well. Uh, this is Poor V. Bot of Plymouth, who spoke of the personal and financial stress of caring for her seriously ill parents. These decisions to prioritize care at home come with significant trade-offs. With no siblings or partner, I struggle and still do to protect my own income, health insurance, and retirement savings. I cobbled together limited time and flexibility to keep my career afloat while translating doctor's calls, navigating business travel, clearing up family confusion, and making critical financial decisions. Now, why shouldn't there be a firmer safety net for people like her? And why hasn't the market approach that you're talking about made these benefits more universal? Well, I think they're very expensive to do so. And we haven't had the ability for the market to address these needs because we haven't had the ability to have this product offered to these businesses. We passed it in the Senate. Democrats blocked it in the House. And my question is, if we're seeing success and seeing this pass with bipartisan support in other states, what's the harm in passing this plan, authorizing this insurance program, and seeing if it fills in the gaps in the system before we do this additional tax on small businesses, this additional massive government bureaucracy? And the best part is my plan, the second we vote it, it can start right away. It can actually start addressing these needs years before the Democrats' plan comes out. So let's give it a shot and see what happens. You spoke of the larger corporations where this is a more common benefit offering. And backers of the bill say that white-collar employees or those with higher salaries are more likely to work at places with a paid leave option and that those on the financial edges, you know, someone in the service sector, for instance, tend to lack access. Do you dispute that? Oh, I absolutely do not dispute that, which is why I wanted to find a proposal that can fill in the gaps in the system and help these people 
that don't have access to this type of benefit yet, maybe because their employer can't afford it. Uh, you know, restaurants have such small, slim margins. Uh, have access to it, but do it in a way that isn't going to crush our economy. I mean, if you look at states in the last year and their migration out of state, the states that recently passed paid family leave proposals that are uh, much like the one Democrats are proposing today have the highest rates of migration out of the state. So I just don't buy the uh, belief that the government-run massive bureaucracy is what's going to attract and retain employees. Senator Mann, do you want to react to this idea that that this is going to drive companies out or make them uncompetitive with their pure states? And- sure. Yeah, so I, that's just not true, right? Um, so first of all, the, the Republican um, proposal will accomplish absolutely nothing. We, this is what we're already doing. We, we, can have, we have access to disability insurance. And what we see is that 25% of workers have access to pay leave, 25%. And the people that have access are, of course, those high-income workers in those big corporations. If smaller companies were able to get this product, they already would. And opening it up and saying that you can now sell this product, it's basically the same thing. And we know that, again, because of data, right? We saw in Virginia in 2022, they passed a very similar bill. As of January of this year, not one insurance product has been sold. Not one. So the bill did zero things. It also does not address the income inequality that we see with the high-income workers earning more and low-income workers having less access to this leave. Um, People in small businesses, you know, some states have carved them out. And what we see in those states is that women, people of color, people with disabilities, again, don't have access to the leave. And the Republican proposal will do nothing to address those inequalities. These benefits aren't free. Can you explain to folks how this payroll tax would work? Yeah, so it's an insurance premium, right? Everyone pays in. It's 0.35% for the employer and 0.35% for the employee for the average Minnesota worker that would cost less than $4 per week. So a cup of coffee um, per person will buy the entire state economic security the mental well-being of being with your family, of bonding with your baby, of taking care of yourself when you're ill, I mean, that is, that's priceless. And, and based on the experience of other states that have a leave program now, are you confident that the tax level that you've picked out is enough to sustain the program, or might those taxes have to go up? I'm, I'm fairly confident that we picked a very good um, 0.7%. So we're looking at Washington that has comparable numbers. Their rate went up this last year because they had an increased demand during COVID. Uh, we're seeing California, New York, New Jersey, their prices, their uh, premiums went down in the last year. So they fluctuate because the economy fluctuates, but generally they stay around the same point. that they started on. Price of a cup of coffee, do you see it otherwise? Are you worried about these taxes? I am. You know, as the senator mentioned, in Washington, you saw their rates go up. And I don't think it's genuine to sell an idea to taxpayers. This is going to be the rate when we know that it's likely going to increase in the state of Minnesota. We haven't seen any effort by Democrats this year to do anything to bring taxes down for anybody. So I don't believe that it's going to stay the same, ever get cut, or do anything other than be increased. And and it is a bit disingenuous to say, you know, Virginia passed this bill in 2022 and not one proposal has been sold. That's like saying Democrats are going to pass this plan in 2023, come back in a year and say, but 
not one claims been, or benefits been handed out. It takes time, including the Democrats' plan, to get these things off the ground. But the free market solution is going to be able to come together much more quickly. And it is going to be affordable for small businesses because we are partnering it with tax credits to help them afford this benefit and additional paid family leave-related costs. Now, if, if I remember correctly, the, benef- the tax credits you were talking about in your proposal would have covered about 17,000 workers if at the 3,000 per employee level. Uh, there's 900,000 workers who presently you know, lack, or I, th- I think that's the number you've used in the past, uh, lack something like this. Uh, wouldn't, wouldn't there be people left out? Well, I think it depends on how you're defining paid family leave. So if a current company allows someone to take short-term disability for six weeks, they can take all their vacation time and then have some paid time off, that does not count under their definition of paid family leave. So the number being purported as all the people without access is probably a lot smaller depending on how you're defining it. We, of course, don't want anyone left out and want to do our best to fill in the gaps and expand access. And I'm begging Democrats to give this plan a try before they do another massive one-size-fits-all program that the experts in the industry, the school board associations, the small businesses, the chambers are telling us are going to drive out business and shutter business doors. Senator Mann, what would it take for a company to opt out of this program? What would they have to do or show the state? They just have to fill out an online form that says that they offer the same program. That's it. But they would have to offer a minimum threshold of benefits? The minimum threshold, and then they can go up as far as they want from that. They can offer whatever they like. And are you aware of any companies in the state that are offering this level of benefits now, or are people going to have to stretch up? No, the larger corporations are offering more, right? We heard from Target. They're offering 20-some weeks to their high-wage employees. Um, so people are, are – again, the bigger corporations are offering this. Uh, it's the smaller businesses who cannot afford to offer this program. And so they are not competitive on that same level playing field. And it's those same small businesses that have come to us and said, please pass this so that we can attract quality workers and offer them the same benefits as these large corporations are um, offering. And I will also add that I think it's disingenuous to say that the Virginia example does not hold true because they started that program on the day that that law passed, right? And again, I also think that it's disingenuous to say that a free market will fix the problem. We have a free market today, and we have a huge problem that has not been fixed. Have you been assured a vote on your bill this session, and are you confident it would pass given the one vote edge that your party has in the Senate? Uh, We have been working very hard to listen to Everyone. And again, that's why we're on the seventh engrossment of the bill. That's why we offered Amendment 83 last week. Um, And so uh, I am confident that we will pass this. And what other changes are in the works to win over colleagues who might be wavering? Uh, Just basically some technical changes, nothing nothing too big. We're working perhaps on another um, small business program. But aside from that, we're, we're pretty set. Senator Coleman, are there any changes that could win you over that still keeps it within this government set and run benefit structure? I don't believe at this time there are, unless I'm going to see significant flexibility for small businesses to opt out if they can't afford it uh, or if they want to design the plan in a way that works for them and their operations. If 12 weeks doesn't work for them, it doesn't work for them. And instead of shoving this down their throats, I would like to see some flexibility options for them. 
and Senator Mann, if it passes this year, what are the steps ahead before people could start seeing these benefits? So what other states have done is that they have to collect the premiums for about a year to a year and a half. We have the luxury of having that uh, surplus, so we can start the program collecting premiums and getting out benefits on the same day. We just have to get the program set up, so we're looking at around 2025 um, as the starting date. Um, And I will say, too, that there is flexibility in this program, right? Employers or employees can take as much leave as they need or don't need. In other states, we see that even though there's a max amount of weeks that people can take, employees do not take that max. They take what they need. Um, And so there is flexibility in that regard. Are you allowed to take intermittent leave? Do you have to take it all in a big block or could you take it a couple weeks at a time? You can take intermittent leave. So, you know, we have people with, for example, cancer who need chemotherapy once a week. They can take that one day or that two days, one day to recover per week and then go back to work. Um, Again, we're trying to, to make it so that we are making the lives of Minnesotans easier and better. Um, and so there is flexibility on how you take that leave as well. Senator Coleman, you, you've been around here. You know that sometimes the votes are the votes. Are you? Is this a foregone conclusion? Um, can you explain? It, well, the, the Democrats have control of the House. They have control of the Senate. They have control of the governor's office. All three have made this a priority. Is mm-hmm. this going to happen? I'm sure that it will, but I'm not sure they'll maintain that majority if they keep pushing proposals like this that are going to end up hurting our business economy at the end of the day. So what's your goal now? Is it to soften this or is it to get in the way of it? Well, as I mentioned earlier, when I'm back in my district and I'm hearing from my small businesses that are saying, do something to help me before this bill comes and shutters our doors, uh, we're just going to keep working to try to pass my proposal and see if it can help Minnesotans that uh, you know fill in the gaps here that don't have access to some sort of paid family leave benefit already and see if we can do this in a way that doesn't add a payroll tax, a one-size-fits-all mandate, or a massive government bureaucracy. I'm going to keep fighting for that. Senators Mann, Coleman, thank you for coming by to discuss it. Thank Thank you very much. You're listening to Politics Friday. I'm Brian Baxt. The legislature is back in session from a short holiday break. So let's listen to some of the voices from the Capitol from this week. The House will come to order. Let us pray. We ask for wisdom in our planning and compassion in our labor of efforts. Guide us to be responsible to all and for all who we represent. Guide us and give us an ear to truly hear each other in our discourse and our debates. Teach us and remind us how to negotiate in the best interest of our communities in Minnesota and how to live together in peace and in harmony. You said, and I quote, the rich should pay their fair share. What is that number? Uh, Thank you. Uh, (laughs) Chair Gomez. uh, Mr. Balio. Representative Davids. Uh, I'm not actually uh, a tax policy expert, so I'm not entirely sure what arbitrary number I'd be able to come up with in this hearing on that. Now I'm totally depressed. Um, I thought I was going to get that number. We whipped that phrase around like people know what they're talking about, and they don't. So when you said that, you didn't have a number. 
You didn't have a number for us. I want a number. I hear it. If I hear in this committee one more time that somebody has to pay their fair share, I want the number. We are complex people in Minnesota, and we can focus on many, many things. Having uh, family leave for people who need it, making sure that child care is funded, making sure that those who are who are at the top income level can pay more. You know what? Taxes may not be the best, but it actually has great benefits, too. And so we can look at the pros and cons of all. But let's just look at what is the society in which we want to build here in Minnesota. We are going to present a unified theme. Minnesota may think it is ready for the proposed legislation of cannabis, but we question whether it is really prepared for this major push to expand access to cannabis. Ethnic studies is a curriculum in which young people can see themselves reflected and most importantly where they can learn their histories. You know, as Representative Lee talked about, during World War II, um, Japanese Americans were interned and a group of them came here to Fort Snelling to help um, with the code breaking, to help with the translating, um, to help the U.S. with the war. That's a really important piece of um, Minnesotan history. That's a really important piece of U.S. history that is, is really unknown. Um, my uncle was actually a part of, of that group, um, but that was not a history that I got to really learn about until I was an adult. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to your capital. It's great to see you all here uh, on this beautiful spring day. I saw the food trucks are back down, and this is where Minnesotans are supposed to gather. It is, I know, it's a big day, yeah. Where did you guys come from? Byron! Byron? How long is that bus ride? Uh, about an hour and a half! An hour and a half! No, no, not even. Are we on TV? This is for radio. What are you most looking forward to about the Capitol? Horses! 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 I'm going on the road! Air conditioning! I hope you guys have fun today. Thank you! Bye bye! Food trucks and field trips, it sure sounds like a spring at the Capitol and the final sprint is on. Uh, two people who know something about that are my NPR News colleague Dana Ferguson and Axios reporter Tori Van Oot, who are in the Capitol studio now. Dana, Tori, glad you're here. Thanks, Thanks Brian. Us. Hey, Dana, uh, we're into the budget bill bonanza. Fill us in on what's going on. Yeah, so just today we're going to have the Senate voting on a set of omnibus bills. We're going to hear about public safety, commerce, jobs and labor. Um, last night the House was in late talking about an election and voting bill that would create an automatic voter registration system, uh, pre-register 16 and 17-year-olds. Talks are going on about taxes, fees, all kinds of stuff. So it seems like every day's been pretty busy coming straight out of recess, and it's only going to get crazier as we go. Uh, Tori, the, these bills are massive and chock full of money and policy shifts. How hard is it going to be to keep track of everything going on, and what are you watching for? It's very hard. Um, you know, with DFL in full control, we've seen things moving a lot faster, uh, and we've seen action on a lot more bills. Um, we're watching for uh, the final price tag on things. We're definitely watching for the tax bills to come out next week and how that's going to shake out. And there's a lot of um, issues that are near the top of the wish list for top Democrats. Uh, paid family leave, which you just talked about on the show, uh, guns, marijuana. A lot of these issues still have uh, kinks to work out and uh, the support and the votes aren't quite clear. So we're going to be watching those really closely. Yeah. And that public safety bill up in the Senate today, it has changes to prison policies, establishes a new crime of organized retail theft, theft and more. 
but it doesn't have those specific changes to gun laws like the House version does. Tori, what might happen there? No, it doesn't. And if they pass with different versions, ultimately the negotiations in the conference committee is where that's going to be worked out. But, you know, uh, supporters of some of those gun changes, including the red flag laws, were at the Capitol earlier this week for a press conference saying post-recess, our final push is on. Um, they didn't sound entirely confident when asked, do you have the votes? The answer, I think, was uh, something along the lines of, we know it's our job to get the votes. Hmm. And what we know so far is that there are a number of Democrats who either have voiced concerns or who are on the fence and uncommitted so far on these bills. And so uh, we're going to be watching to see where those lawmakers land. And Dana, you wrote this week about long-term care and the financial struggles of many facilities. Are Democratic leaders going to shift course and maybe put more money in? They might look at different ways to fund long-term care, like different programming, different reimbursement rates, but they are pretty solid on the target that they put out there for human services. And uh, just talking to Chair John Hoffman in the Senate a little bit earlier today, he said they're not going to try to blow anything up as far as changing a target or doing anything like that, but he really wants to make sure that there's more money going to nursing homes. Uh, We heard from a number of them that they're facing really dire straits financially, and so they need some help. And Brian, that's like with se- even with seventeen point five billion dollars surplus. You've written about this. Yeah. I've written about this. You know, uh, seventeen point five billion dollars isn't enough to buy happiness around here. Um, <laughs> housing, transportation. There's all of these different areas. Nursing homes, as you're talking about, groups, uh, food shelves, like groups that still want more money, a bigger I, piece of that. And I'm glad you brought up transportation. I thought it was interesting this week that the Senate split from the House by backing mm-hmm. away from that proposed 75 cent delivery fee to raise money for transportation. How do you read that move? And, and Tori, is that fee dead? If they don't have the votes, it's going to be dead. But there's a lot still to be worked out, right? There's negotiations to be had. Um, I think what Senator Dibble said is there just wasn't enough time to work this out and explain this and get get support for this. But that was indicative of some of the other splits we're seeing on taxes. I mean, taxes is an area where um, there are ideological splits within the DFL caucus on which of these um, competing, in some cases, uh, tax measures to move forward with. And Dana, next week, the governor's giving a state of the state. It's kind of late. Do we expect him to say anything new, new policies, new new wish list? It is very late in session. We're not expecting a lot of news making out of the governor. I think what we're going to hear is a recap of what DFLers have accomplished so far this session, what they'd like to get done, and just how great they all think they're doing. Well, that's our program for this Friday. Matthew Alvarez is our producer. Alex Simpson is our technical director. We had technical assistance from Jess Berg. I'm Brian Baxt. Thanks for listening, and have a great weekend. I'm Mike Mulcahy. Thanks for listening to the Politics Friday podcast on NPR News. If you want to catch the show live on the radio, tune in each Friday at noon. Join us for interviews with lawmakers and conversations about what's been happening at the Capitol and beyond.